it's not that deep. It's not that deep, bro. Every time. I knew it get me. I knew, every get time. Me. Every time. Just keep doing it. You know what episode this is? It's 15. 15. It's 15. Yeah, 15. And uh, we're together, number one. Somewhere very special. Yeah, this is the, it's very, well, um, it's the first episode in a long time. Exotic. Uh, Gone outside. Well, we've been physically with one another. Oh, since, yeah. It's been quite, what, been how doing, many? Five? Past three or four episodes, we've been doing the Skype thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're together again. Obviously, the situation has changed, and here we are. It's a, it's a glorious day. Mm-hmm. We're at a undisclosed forest location. <laughs> <laughs> undisclosed. On this log. That's very uncomfortable. <laughs> but we're here. How you been? We're, uh, all right, I guess. Um, a little bit more worse for wear. You I said guess. you got ulcers in your throat, man. No, in my throat, in yeah. my, on the side of my mouth. That's like worrying. Here. No, I don't think it's ulcers. I think it's more like, um, what's the other word? I don't want to say it. Like, I've cut myself by biting, bit myself. But that's just... stress as well, you know, when you're like you're grinding your teeth and you're chewing your cheeks because you're at work and you're not where you want to be. I don't think that's what it was. I was just eating and I was eating too fast. And I sort of just munched myself, I guess. <laughs> you think it's inherently more simple than I was making it? Yeah, a little bit. You're, you're making it worse than it actually is. And I'm like, oh shit, is it worse than it actually is? I guess we'll see. In the long run. <laughs> yeah, we'll if see. Martin can talk next episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I will. Mm. I'll make it happen. I think today we're going to have a little chat about Mulholland Drive. We are. David Lynch, 2001. Mm-hmm. Second David Lynch film we're talking about. That's right. First one was on the first ever episode. We left him alone for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shout out to people who remember what the first film was. That'll be minimal. Minimal. Minimal, yeah. Minimal. But still. So... What did you think of Mulholland Drive, Martin? It, was, it wasn't as strange as other films that we've watched, like Holy Mountain, <laughs> but it was more, it was like a little bit realistic to a point where you're like, this, this can actually happen. It was, yeah, I would say out of, all of the David Lynch films that there are, Mulholland Drive has a lot of mainstream appeal mm-hmm. and a tangible narrative. Um, it's nearly linear. <laughs> it's, ah, it's nearly linear. It's near, near is a bit pessimistic. Like, it's, it's there, but it's, oh, I don't think it's that near. For those of you that haven't seen Mulholland Drive, it's a... Um, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it's a tale of a young woman coming to Hollywood with stars in her eyes. She's promised her family that she'll, uh, they'll see her on the TV when she's made it, finally. And she goes through the motions of the Hollywood machine, experiencing a lot of the stuff that's like in the media, you know, over the past few years with the Me Too stuff and... Um, well, she perceives herself to 
be a victim of um, stereotypical elements of the movie industry. But as the film goes on, it transpires that she's uh, concocting this narrative to cope with the idea that she has failed in that first intention of making it. Yeah. And she she sees herself as this, like... Victim, basically. Yeah, yeah constantly. Does. And it's like a... But you only can, see it... She at, constructs a whole conspiracy. Yeah. As to why she failed. It's hard to, It's hard to think who the main character is. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you see well, it's it... it's Naomi Watts, but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose the way it starts as well leads you to believe... Yeah, you don't actually see the main character until about, I think, half an hour in. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, oh, you're constantly like, oh, this is going to be about this woman who saw did this and this has happened. Who had a car crash. Yeah, had a ca- <laughs> yeah, who had a car crash. And I'm like, oh, okay. Fair enough. She's lost her memory. And you think she is the femme fatale of the film. That's right. And as soon as you sort of like get... Um, I'll say like three quarters of the way through, you sort of realise, oh shit, there's nothing about her. This is nothing to do with her. With her, and you start to question Naomi Watts' character and the relationship that... They had. They have, or have, sort of things. Had. Had. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's one of my favourite films, Mulholland Drive, because it's still underrated i think i think like what it's actually about has not been fully appreciated yet because it like speaks as i say to a lot of what is going on Mm -hmm. in it's the story of the young woman that manages to construct an ideal version of her life speaks to what i i believe a lot of people are doing like living lives in constructed narratives where the negative things that have happened into their life. Well, everything happens for a reason. And they need to justify it because it hurt them that bad, really. So because they don't want to take the full brunt of the pain or the reality of the situation, people construct narratives and reasons for things happening that make them feel better about it. It's just so, like... It's really sad. Oh, it's a fu- it, yeah. It's, it's fucked a up. Really, really like, sad film, and at the end, she's it. It's it just, just gets too much. Jarring cut mm-hmm. where you see her actual life, and she's um, quite an aggressive individual. Well, she's bitter about the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, I, if you're bitter about the situation, you haven't made it. But it's all especially up to you. yeah, exactly. It's, especially like if you see how it actually happens, you're like. Just, if you haven't made it, just try. Try something keep, else, but yeah, keep try, trying. Yeah, keep trying. If there's no... There's, there's no... It speaks to Hollywood being put up on a pedestal, the land of dreams, the place you go to make it sort mm-hmm. of thing. And it's, it's only, only the 1% she, makes it, though. Well, it's only because she built it up so much that it, she fell so hard, yeah. basically. And she bought into the whole stars, stars in the eyes sort of go into Hollywood thing, which is what everyone does. But with the internet and stuff like that, 
No, it and is. With this virus that's happening, everyone's leaving California. Yeah. Like, those days are over now. Yeah. And, it, you know, with Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, uh, exposed, it has given everybody a taste of what's actually happening in the entertainment industry. Um, but this is something that Mulholland Drive lays out, like, what, 19 years ago. Pretty bluntly as well. Compared to, there's so many films that we've watched and while we've been doing this series that just... Are ahead of their time. Are way ahead of well, their time. Well, that's the whole point of this podcast, Martin, to be honest with you, is that... Like, it's... It, I've seen... It, an, how are people not, like, realising that the shit that happens or the films that are made 10, 20, 30 years ago are, like... So much more relevant now. There's films that were made nearly a hundred years ago that are like incredibly still under. I don't want to say underrated or underappreciated. It's um, the, what they're about has not had light shed onto it. I can't no. put it into words correctly. The intentions of the director are yeah. not in the mass awareness. Like, it, obviously, we've we started this podcast to do to sort of see the view of the. Yeah, the person who made it. No, 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 to see the view of, like, the common... The common people, I guess. The the, the people that just bring see... the view of the filmmaker to the common people. That's right, yeah. Intention. So, yeah. like, you see, you see the message behind every film that we watch. And I just give it the first view. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... But then now I'm sort of realising every time I watch a film and we do a podcast about it... I look more into the hidden meaning behind the film and it's like getting more and more and more... You're realising that there's more and more... Well, to everything, everything that, that yeah. is being done and every scene that has been put out there. I always you know just I mean? think... So it's, it's a learning curve. I think of it, yeah, I think of it as quite simple. Like, when I'm watching something, I'm like, someone made this. That's right. Well, like, they What were they it, thinking? Well, they did it for a reason. You are completely right, Martin, in the it's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think every you should just be open to wondering like why does this exist? Because I always everything in my opinion. It, it's a good attitude to be cultivating. The the thing is, it, okay, yeah, that you want to find out what like why everything exists, but there's that question that always stops you. Well, you like if you if you look at the stars and you're like. Why does that exist? Why, why does the universe, uh, universe exist? Shit like that. Like, people, can't, there's so many different types of people that are like, oh, religion, religion, oh, 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 yeah, science. The, okay, they're, yeah. they're the big questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But well, like, I think there's questions that are still unanswered down here that will answer those questions. Don't forget about that stuff. No, of course not. Just take no. the attitude of wanting to understand everything into your everyday life. And if everyone does that, I think we'll get the answer to that. I do believe so. But in terms of films, as you say, people weaponize their films or their mm -hmm. art mm -hmm. to say something. Like, uh, we've not watched, there's a David Lynch film called Blue Velvet. And um, there's a, um, a specific scene that's pretty, like, horrifying. And when it's an, it involves a young girl, and when she filmed, when it, when they filmed it, 
he was like, Fantastic! You'll have them running for the fire exits. Like, that was his intention with the film. Like, not to, like, entertain or make you feel good or make you feel, like, comfortable. So that you leave well, in not, fear. He doesn't actually want you to leave, but you understand the intention, like, that'll have them shook up, mm -hmm. is what he was saying in an exaggerated manner. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's great to watch a film that makes you feel, like, warm and cosy. Because sometimes you need to feel like that. But I would say 85% of the time for me, I'm looking to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> When you watch any film. I don't, I don't feel like any, any of the films that we've done have made me feel uncomfortable. More the fact that they've... The dream sequence in Mulholland Drive makes me feel fairly uncomfortable. Really? And then just the overall... What, as we said, it's very sad. Yeah. But, it, but the thing is, it's, you don't realize that till the end. No. Like literally the last 10, 20 minutes of mm. the film, that's when you realize that you're like, oh shit. But that's why it's a masterful film. Because, yeah, because like, like, from, from the beginning. From the beginning, what's yeah, going on? From the beginning, you're constantly like, oh, is she gonna, is she gonna regain her memories? Is she, is she gonna be mm. all right? All of a sudden, massive twist. You're like, twist. What happened oh, at the no. be very beginning of the film, Martin? Just describe what's happening. Very, very start. Um, you could say it in two words. I could say it in two words. Yeah. Everybody's dancing. It's red. Right. And everybody's dancing. There is a lot of people dancing on screen, and it's just not explained. And then it cuts into the diner scene. What's that? There's a red... It's just the colour red. Like a black... A block red wall. Right. And then there's people. And they're like green screened on to that red screen. And they're dancing. You know, arms around one another. Proper dancing. I don't think I've seen that version. <laughs> that is the version. That is the film. <laughs> <laughs> don't remember that a little bit, to be honest. But I... I I just... But that summarizes the whole film right there. Everyone dancing. That's Hollywood. Everyone's doing a dance. It could be wherever. It could be anything. But I think it's great that he summarizes... He says what the whole... People are always like with David Lynch films. Oh, what's it about? You know, that's the whole thing with it. He says it mostly at the beginning of all his films. He'll give you like a scene that summarizes the entire emotional tone of what the film is going to be. I wonder what his actual goal is. To bring truth and light to the masses. But what's the truth and light? Like what, what, what are we talking is truth? What is like the truth and what is the light that he's trying to bring to people? Because his truth may be well, his truth the is, lie to somebody else. His truth is based... I mean, this is going to get deep here, but David Lynch's specific truth has its foundation largely in Hindu cosmology and ancient Indian religion. I would say is where a good portion of what people consider to be David Lynch's trademark weirdness comes from. What does he, why does he enjoy, has he ever explained why he enjoys Hinduism and... Because 
he was a young man at one point in his life and he had problems sleeping and he had problems with stress and ulcers and things like that and as he started to make more and more art he found it harder and harder he found the art was like taking over his life and he was getting very anxious about it and just everything in his life i think was getting to <coughs> mm -hmm. to a certain point and i think at some point in the 1970s or early 80s he uh, learned meditation and that would put him on the path and now in 2020 he owns what's known what is known as the david lynch foundation and they are the largest kind of meditation organization that exists and where they're based they have kind of like i think they're based in california but they have things all over the world and they teach children in schools how to meditate and they teach homeless people and all of that sort of thing um but it's in all his films. Mm -hmm. Really deep stuff. Even in like a... He calls Eraserhead his most spiritual film. Mm. Like there's stuff going on in Eraserhead that I think, again, in, in every David Lynch film, there's stuff going on that people probably are yet <clears throat> to realise. That he put in there as a sort of Easter egg and it's just people are still not still wondering what was that like to be honest like Mulholland Drive has got some scenes like like you said the one at the start people dancing N not explained oh, the, the simple the diner the diner the diner's pretty simple though the, it, again it summarizes like the whole film he says I had a dream that something bad was happening and I think it's happening behind this place we're in right now and the man he's with says, well, let's go see. If, if we're in the dream and you, this is the dream, well, let's go check it out. And they go check it out. And it, he's completely right. There is something bad happening there. And it looks at him, but he can't handle it. Boom. That's the whole mm -hmm. film right there. Yeah. But it's always so simple. All you People try too hard to understand these films. All you have to do is just explain what happened in the scene and it becomes so obvious. You know what I mean? If you yeah. write down, on, you're like, oh, well, he's just kind of like summarising the film in this weird, kooky... S scene that's happening. Scene that's happening. And then... But I love that, making all these connections. It, <laughs> the thing is, I'm not... It, it, I was trying not to... Um... Should we wait? I'm happy to continue. Hello, boy. Look at him. He's a good boy. Mm -hmm. Or girl. Or girl. <laughs> anyway, he. it seems like um, the... When I saw that scene, halfway through the film, it just weirded me out because, like, who are these two men? Yeah. Where do they come from? <laughs> Like the the stuff that the, um the scene itself mm. makes sense. Yeah, but who are those? Men? But who are those men? It just simply really doesn't matter. There's a lot of people out there. There is a lot of there there is a lot of people out there. But if it's David Lynch, you just he put whole... them he put them two people in there for a reason. 
there probably is reasoning and there probably is... Because obviously you see them at the end. I'm trying to think what their capacity is at the end of the film. Where are they in the end of the film? The diner. They're in the but diner. you only see one man. And she, the other person... Which one is it? Which man is it? The one who faints? Yeah. It's the one who faints and he's the one who's having the dream and he's in the diner. Yeah. But she, he's in the diner with um, so the bad Naomi, that, that character. She, she's not in with so, her, but she goes in there and sees him and he smiles at her. And he smiles at her. So it's, it's sort See, of like... It's a whole thing, Martin. I'll be thinking about this now for like the next week and I'll probably hit you up next week. <laughs> like, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what gets me. Like, it, the, okay, the, char- the, the scene makes sense. Like the way you explained it makes sense. Mm. The man in the scene, like, it, if it was supposed to be a dream for the characters that were in there, like Naomi and the other two, they would then be them two. Do you know what I mean? Like, she could, he could have put it in so that the woman that loses it her... It will have something to do... You say it's at the end... She's in the diner because she's arranging uh, the assassination. Like a hit, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, So that is the Naomi Watts that is not in a dream. But the yeah. man that was having a bad dream but couldn't look at it is there. Mm-hmm. It's something to do with that, but I've not Worked made it the connection <laughs> yeah. between the two things yet. See, I got you with something. I got you with well, something. It's good. Mm. <laughs> it's good. Like it's, it's, it's all like always. Pl- it's the one thing I probably remember the most, except for that uh, that um, last scene where not last scene, but last probably ten minutes where the fucking. The small people. Yeah, the small well, that, people. That again, that's like another great example of this Lynchian way of explaining things. That those people at the very beginning of the film, it's their, her grandparents, mm-hmm. isn't it? And um, she says, Oh, we hope to see you on the television. So she has embarked on this whole Hollywood career thing with her grandparents in mind, wanting to uh, make them proud. Right, yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're. Not that we're big, but I might, when you're big, you call the people that you used to know in the town that you used to live in, you know, mm-hmm. the little people. You still have time for the little people. Mm-hmm. That's like, you get asked that in an interview sort of thing. Um, so David Lynch being David Lynch, at the very end of the film, when Naomi Watts' character is, um, it's all coming, the realisation is all coming down on her that she's failed and stuff like that and she's becoming suicidal... It's the little people that eventually make her kill herself because she has promised to the little people that, that she will make it. And now she, she knows that it. that cannot happen. She has disappointed everyone she knows. Mm-hmm. And they physically come into the house and haunt her um, to death. It's, it's hard to... Um, to... get somebody out of that sort of mindset. Because... Well, once they've built it up, yeah, like, because at the same time that you've built all this shit up, the, like you say, the little people are on, go- they're, they're there f- well, for they you from, on, yeah. from the beginning. Do you they're, know what I mean? Like, they're still there. Yeah. But you think that you can't face them. Because, That's it. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to get you out of that mindset. Once you're in there, you're like, oh, shit, I can't face them. I can't look at them. Mm. And you're like, uh, well, what am I going to do here? And that happens. Yeah, and it's it, this is why it's, it's probably one of the saddest films I've seen. Just because it's really real. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, that's what. I, yeah, it, it's so sad because it's so real. Like it's people so. Look for films to scare them. Like people love horror films, but to me, the premise of Mulholland Drive is horrifying. Like that is one of the most scariest. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it, <laughs> shit like that is just. It gets me because I'm like, oh, if I fail, I'm ne- like, I'm never gonna make it again. But at the same time, I have this attitude where I'm like, I can't give up. I've been given, I've been thrown so many fucking left side balls where... Curve balls. So many, yeah, so many fucking curve balls at the, because of what I have, what I do, what, like who I am, how yeah. I am, all this eyesight shit or mm-hmm. whatever, that I'm like... I it doesn't matter. I will. I will carry on till I'm dead. Like uh, you're, you know what I mean. Like an I honest person, Martin. That, you have taken your uh, cards that you have been dealt, and you have you've read the hand. And that's taken it. it into just, account. just fucking carry on. Like carry on till literally I can't give any. And I do believe it is that spirit that keeps one alive in mm-hmm. the hardest of times. Um, the, I, that, but I also see the the stress that life can put on somebody's like life somebody who ain't got a strong will when somebody when something just doesn't go their way it's their their the mental the mental thinking capacity just goes you know what well i better it's the biggest tragedy when a human being feels like they can't do anything and they stop doing something Mm -hmm. that is like and it, it, the worst thing that can happen, like outside of you know disease and all the mm-hmm. getting hit by bus and all those mm-hmm. things. I mean, in terms of psyche and mindset, being in a state where you feel like you can't even like put clothes on, and thousands of people are there right now, millions, uh, right. millions, and have been there, and that's that's. It's hard to take on board. Yeah, I'm in my yeah, 100%, heart. Percent. Yeah, like uh, it's just because I've. It's unthinkable. Like, yeah. I, I just... Because of the way that I am, I'm just constantly moving forward. There's, there's no moving backwards because as soon as you step back, that's when you start seeing um, shit that's wrong. And you're like, if well, you... You've got to acknowledge when you go wrong or she'll keep making the same mistakes. That's right. And that will lead to that same depression coming mm-hmm. back. Um, but then to dwell on the past... Seems foolish. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not good. Because you can't. You just. You what you take, take from account what you can change. That's right. Like you have to take what you've done in the past and improve on what you've done in the past, but also forget that. Well, not not to dwell on what you have done already because it's done. It's but done. Like it, you can't change it like unless you got a fucking time machine. It's like the odds are stacked against us mentally because I find. Like, I hate to go on about meditation, but I will shout the praise of it only for the benefit that I've gained in organising my mind and life from it. And I'll only try and talk about, like, the tangible, physical things that you can get from it that are going to translate into your day becoming better. And one of those things is that the minute that you try and sit on your own in a room for an extended period of time, be it five minutes, be it ten, or be it twenty, like I attempt to do 
the brain starts throwing you curveballs. It's like the brain actually, there's a person or <laughs> there's something in there that's like, whoa, 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 hang on. You're trying to like acknowledge all the, like you're trying to acknowledge what's going on. Mm -hmm. You're trying to take stock of things. No, no, no. no. Remember that time you pissed yourself when you were seven? Yeah. <laughs> and it, like, yeah. starts doing stuff yeah. like that. And I've heard athletes and people, high performing human beings, uh, for example, like a gymnast that's trying to balance on a beam. It's when they try to do those things that these crazy memories start coming up. And it's like there's this system in the brain whenever will comes in to try and create something new, the, there is a part of the human psyche that's like, will do everything it can to stop to that. To stop you, yeah. It's the, sa it's the same it's way really when... Interesting. It's the same way when you're trying to... Because... Um, uh, <laughs> A lot, a lot of games that I play, you, you sort of like feel like you could do something. But at the same time, when you've not ever done it, you're like, how the fuck am I supposed to do this? And you, you, it sort of takes, you'll be like, oh, there's a really big jump that you have to do. And it's been done before. And the challenge seems incomprehensible. Yeah, and it's been done before though. And you, you know it's been done before. So you're like, you're sort of like, go at it and you're like trying to do it but then your brain's like no 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 stop 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 and you just sort of like get out and that and then you die and you're like is the ah. like that's the that's the demon that's mm -hmm. the devil that's that's the, the bad that's the force that you should fight against in your life that's basically <laughs> it's sort of like it's I, one of them things where well, I was just, well, you were just talking about video games. Mm -hmm. And for me, I don't play video games so much anymore. I will if the opportunity arises, but I don't have a console or anything. And um, But I played a load of video games when I was younger and really got into them. And a game like Pokemon, I use stuff from Pokemon in my life every single day. Stop yeah. playing at like Ruby and Sapphire, but the I loved the quirky interactions that you'd have with people just talking to them, mm -hmm. like random NPCs that had no use, but they'd just say something to you like, I love walking my Machoke on Tuesdays. <laughs> and stuff like that. I loved like the... the little, you could talk to anyone, basically, yeah. and they wouldn't... Give you something that isn't... A negative... Well, some characters would give you a negative response, but... It was just safe, I suppose. You can mm -hmm. walk around and speak to anyone and life is not so much like that. But then also just the sense of adventure. Like Every single Pokemon game starts and you're a young boy that's been dropped off. You, like you've moved house or... Basically, you're in new surroundings for the first time. And this guy, a professor, comes up to you and he's like, there's this thing going on. People do this thing. It's a big thing, Pokemon. And you can have one. <laughs> you can do it. And you go out into the big world and, and do this. get all the badges and all of that. But as a kid, that's, like, exciting. Mm -hmm. In the adult world, you, they nearly trick you. Like, it's not that, and it's paperwork and ties and everything's yeah. grey and yeah. bureaucratic. But if you just take the Pokemon attitude into your life, you will be more... Life doesn't have to be that boring gray push just zelda like zelda games that same thing the sense of adventure mm -hmm. like link going off into the world um i think that's a real valuable bit mm -hmm. of video game to take into your real life and it
again, I love video games, but I hate that a good portion of people that play video games love the world that they spend time in in these games and they hate the outside world more and more because of what's happening in it. But against seemingly undefeatable animosity, surely isn't that the best time to be positive and be chipper and Mm -hmm. attempt to... Instead of seeing the world, the world so bleak, and just retreating into use, another world. That's and yeah. Being like, well, it doesn't matter that the world is what it is. I can go into this to one. Hyrule, yeah. and not care. Yeah, which is fine, but like, just like, know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're like running away. That the whole thing uh, before where we're talking about what your brain is trying to do. Mm. There were so many times when I've done shit like paragliding. Okay, You've done paragliding. I've done paragliding, bro. I have. They let you do paragliding. Yeah, paragliding. Yeah, you you sit, and you you're on a you're on a someone boat. else controlling it. No, you you're on a boat. Right? I think I'm thinking of hang gliding. Yeah, hang gliding. What's paragliding? So you it's <laughs> where you're in the sea and you're uh, on a on a boat and then they strap this massive um like kite. Onto this. Oh, I see. I know. Onto the, you. I know the deal. And then on a rope, and then you they, go up. Yeah, you go up. Mm. So like, constantly, I've seen that the way it feels at the start mm. compared to like after you've been doing it for a few hours. Yeah. yeah or or after exactly you've been you yeah mean. like after you've been doing it for however long they want you to do it. Mm. They're like, it, you come out on the other side and you're like, number that was, one, that was fun. And easier two, than I thought. Scary and yeah. easier. Yeah, it's easier than I thought it was going to be. But at the start, before you even do it once, you're like, holy shit, holy shit. Because you see, like, the I've, brain you see up yeah. a negative image of what could happen. Yeah, it's straight like, away. Do you want to do this? Straight away. Do you really want to? Yeah, this work. Happen. Exactly. And it's, and it's the, sort of like. The good image isn't the one that comes to the front of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always the fear based That's it. one yeah. that comes to the top. And which it's is interesting. It, it, it's why a lot of people nowadays are like, fearing like especially through this pandemic going outside you could die you really want to do that uh no nah, let's stay inside masked gang of men could stab you yeah right? exactly. there's like so there's many so, things to oh. there, a virus in the air that could literally kill you <laughs> there's so like your your brain is literally like although it's it's like your best friend and your worst enemy at the same time do you know what I mean? Exactly. Because with your it brain, was, you come up with everything. It was the best of times. Yeah, it, it was, was the, the worst, worst of times. <laughs> that is a very human quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's in acknowledging that and becoming aware, you can like beat your brain. Just become aware that it does that. Mm-hmm. And then just be like, look, no. Stop. Yeah, probability, reason, you, and logic. That's um, with... Big three. With me, I just always think of what could go right. Yeah. Instead, like as soon as I see a situation where I'm like, if I'm if I'm going on a uh, on a plane ride, or I'm like, uh, you uh, going on a an adventure or a roller coaster, coaster, yeah. All of it is like, what? Number one, I'm gonna have fun, Mm. and number two, I'm gonna do it and try my best. To keep safe. Yeah, to keep you safe. I mean? and, and 
That straight away. Like, I'm not going to think, come oh, on, shit, it's gonna, I'm going to die. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Fuck that. Because that's just putting more stress on my brain. Not only on me, but like the way I think of everything else. You have to think like that first. Because I see people that go into situations and I'm like, you didn't think about this. No. You're just throwing yourself. I used to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, not think about. And just go. And just, just go in. And thank, you know, touch wood, thank God. I'm alive and safe. And mm -hmm. It's all all right. But you could, like, get into a real pickle living like that. Mm -hmm. So I think it is best to use logic and reason. I use odds. I'm like... What are the odds of this? Well, yeah, the brain throws the ridiculous situation up that could happen. And then I'm like, but how many times has that happened in my life? Or to anyone. <laughs> or to anyone. Yeah, you definitely. I mean? So... A logic and reason are great. They really allow you to be able to assess a situation and kind of maneuver through it. Mm -hmm. um, and I love this is why I love like David Lynch films or just the films that we watch because <clears throat> you know we're not even really talking about the film anymore, but it's definitely like in the same vein philosophically and that the film was made in. Yeah, it, it's it's the same wheelhouse emotionally and. It's the same attitude. Like you, you just we're we're sort if of. If that woman had, if Naomi Watts' character had rationally, bad things happened to her, and because yeah. she didn't like the outcome, she didn't take them on board emotionally and process them, and that led her to construct the narrative mm -hmm. of, oh, I'm the victim, and this didn't work out for this reason, this reason, and this reason. All of them, it not being her own fault. Mm -hmm. um, so, I guess I'm a big believer that a film, it's allegorical. It has a message and a lesson to be learned at the end of it. Do you think every film that has that, though? Well, sometimes the lesson is the person that made this film wants to make money. And that's fine. <laughs> but that's just the reason that film exists. And sometimes great films are made like that. Or it might not be money. It might not as be as an intense of a reason like... People make movies for fun. <clears throat> People I just wanted to do this. It was an idea I had. Fuck it. 100%. Yeah. But then there are people, your Kubricks, your Lynches, your Gilliams. That constantly, well, Jodorowsky's, not constantly, but... That do things with... In, Message intent. Well, just every single thing has intent mm -hmm. in it. And Mulholland Drive's intent, you know, we've not even spoke about, like, uh, the club scene. The club scene. Yeah, where they go to the big theatre. Club Paradisia. With the opera singer and the man with the trumpet. <laughs> it's really simple. Like, people think of these scenes as all weird, but it's just, like, easy. Like, he, he's playing the trumpet, and then he moves the trumpet away from his face, and the trumpet carries on playing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, like, the entertainment industry. There's a track playing in the background... <laughs> like it's, it's just yeah there's <laughs> i couldn't uh i forgot about that fucking that scene that but how, how like fucking strange it was there wasn't there like a, a a woman that um what did she do she he did something to that woman didn't she who's he the man that was playing the trumpet I can't remember what he does. I think he just announces her and she comes out and sings a song, doesn't she? I swear he does something else. But 
we could be missing a detail here. But the main point of that whole scene is just to show... The, the industry. Yeah, the see-through yeah. nature and fake nature of, of the entertainment industry mm -hmm. just as a whole. And I think it's after that scene that she wakes up. I see. It's not all uh, doom and gloom all the time, obviously, when it comes to the entertainment industry. Well, no, no, no. There are... For me, the doom and the opposite to the doom and gloom is people like David Lynch <laughs> that yeah. show the doom and gloom. But, the, you know, I watch films for fun, definitely. Yeah. I watched, like, The Founder the other day. I watched Bohemian Rhapsody yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Again? Yeah. I've never seen it. I went to an outdoor cinema. I know, I saw... I saw Driving. Person, yeah. But Bohemian Rhapsody, the... Queen film. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't see it when it came out. Did you not? I swear Jack took you. No, Jack went. We were going to see it, me and Jack. I mean, Me and Jack went. Point. Yeah, you and Jack went, but yeah. no, I didn't see it. Um, and yeah, if we're going to talk about that. It was a really good film. I like Queen. Like, I've, they're one of the first bands I remember listening to. Mm -hmm. One of the earliest bits of music. We had Queen Greatest Hits. That was in my parents' CD collection. And it's one of the best-selling albums of all time. And... You know, Killer Queen, Bicycle Race, really early memories for me. And I thought it was a really good film, but it was like, I can imagine the script was just a print out of the Queen Wikipedia page. It's like, because it was made by Queen, the remaining members of Queen. Yeah. It's a squeaky clean, tight version of the <clears throat> Queen story. Yeah. And then I the wish, I wish that in the film they, they played more of the songs that they had. Oh, 100%. Like, they, I feel like the, 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 the whole, like, um, playlist they had, it was, there wasn't enough. Mm. There was just, like, there was really good songs, it was, but it wasn't me, enough. It was, you know like, I mean? it just showed the greatest hits yeah. of their career, like, in terms of not even just songs, just moments. All the classic Queen moments that everyone's heard about, you got to see, like, the setup to and why mm -hmm. that happened and stuff like that, and which was cool... But I would, I could watch like a four-hour film about Queen. You know what I mean? Yeah, that goes. I could, into like yeah, I could have carried on the whole thing. And I really do feel, just in the way that the film portrayed, I didn't know he was married to a woman before. Oh, okay. I did not know that. And she, well, they just let that relationship fall apart. It just seems like he could have ended up not having AIDS. <laughs> that's the gotaway that I got from that film but I'm sure it's just the way the information was presented to me but it just seemed like like how did she, there's, when he he goes up to her and he doesn't like say anything but she's like say it that he's gay yeah that he's gay and then he says I think I'm bisexual but there's not a point in the film before that that shows him like having an interest in men Oh, that, no. Does that one do kiss him in the studio? Is that before or after? He gets AIDS. No, 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 the AIDS is at the end. Yeah. There's a dude that kisses him in the studio near the very beginning of the film. It's that same guy that he ends up living with and fucking his whole life up. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to work out if that is before he breaks up with his wife. That, yeah. That was before? Yeah. Okay, so there is some indication that he 
Well, that a man had an interest in him. Mm-hmm. No, I think... It, it just seems like that I think fucked Freddy's whole life up. Really. Yeah, that, I think... That's what, what that film rings of, to me. Well, I, what I think it was, from the beginning, he was. But the time that he was... That he lived in, as in the, the time that he grew up in... Mm. It was more repressed. It was, yeah, yeah, more of an oppressed feeling that he didn't want to say. He was like... He saw, like, looked at men... <laughs> Differently, but then didn't well, want to say it because at the time, like his dad I and suppose all that growing shit. up, you get the impression, like you see pictures of Freddie Mercury wearing a white vest with a mustache, looking how he looks, and he, everyone calls him like a gay icon. And we're living in I, like I never saw him as a gay icon. He gets well, just that's the impression they did. You know, even in the film. Um, or maybe it's because you see oh, that have grown up. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much Queen you were exposed to when you were younger. Probably not much. No, no. Whereas it, <laughs> like our upbringings are wildly different. Yeah, um, there was a fair bit of Queen blowing around me. And you know, in that in Bohemian Rhapsody, you see that video they do where they all dress up as women. Yeah, I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, <laughs> "Are you gay?" <laughs> like, you know, like just it was just obvious. It's not something I ever thought or constructed. It was just assumed. You just knew Freddie Mercury was gay. It was... You see, I see that. My point is is that from that film, seemingly, he was definitely fluid and, like, we live in 2020 now where, like, when people are... We have some very outspoken, colourful people living on this planet right now that are, like, on Freddie's level in terms of being open. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's Freddies everywhere, sort of thing, and they consider themselves to be like all the different terms that exist now, pansexual mm-hmm. and all of that. I'm sure Freddie would have flourished in that world, but he just got pigeonholed into the gay thing because it was the time that it was in the, yeah, like the eighties. Like, the, like that. in the in the eighties, is there was only two things: gay, straight. Mm. It really like, now thing, now yeah. that every like. That uh, different sexualities and different um, ways of being are, are out. Mm. Well, if he if he was if he was born in this this time and not Queen happened now instead of I don't think he would have got AIDS. He wouldn't have. No, a hundred percent. He would not. It was because have. of the secretive nature about it. Yeah, that it ended up happening, and that dude really does seem to kind of he did fuck, fuck him up. up. He literally fucked him up. Seemingly turned him. Gay and made him like live with them and made him sign a solo record in a split queen. Yeah, but I get. I, I guess don't, I don't know if you know. You know uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Baron Cohen, who plays Borat. Yeah, um, and Ali G. Yeah, he was meant to play Freddie. Was he? Yeah, and this film's been knocking around for years in production. And I, I remember being in like high school and reading about this Queen film that was mm-hmm. meant to be made with Borat. Um quite exciting but he left the film and he said it's because queen wanted to like wash the story like keep it clean even though that film's not that clean but like i imagine there was a lot more yeah i just imagine there's a whole load of stuff that didn't end up in that film Mm -hmm. sasha baron cohen is a man that prides himself on truth really yeah yeah he seems like the type of guy so he left the film and Mm -hmm. i thought i thought the dude as well the actor What's his name? He played Freddy. If I say Remy Malik, yeah, that's his name. That's correct. Yeah, Remy Malik. God yeah. For that. I nearly said Zayn Malik, but he's a member of One Direction. Isn't yeah, he? I see. Um, but yeah, Remy Malik. Remy Malik was really twin. good. 
really good. I really enjoyed him in that film. I didn't know he had a twin, to be honest. I didn't know he, he had a twin. Yeah, till he talked about it in uh, Graham Norton's show. He has a twin who he he took a. Um, Is he a stunt double? No, he took he took he his his twin was doing a test or something, and he couldn't he couldn't do it because he had to act it out. Oh, I see. So he sent his brother. He sent his brother, who's an actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who's that? Uh, it's this family chat that we all do a big um. You're not going to do that? No. Yeah. Not today. Carry on. Remy Malik's brother. Uh, yeah, so he, he did a... He did a show. Well, he showed himself in Graham Norton's show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he saw, like, had a... Had to take this class or this test that his brother had to act out because his brother because he couldn't be there. No, no, no. Oh, no. He he went for his brother. Yeah, like he 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 he, he went for his brother because they're his, interchangeable. Think, they look alike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that they they were the way that the teacher wanted his brother to do it. He wasn't comfortable with. And since Mal, uh, Remy Malik, he's an actor. He's like. I'll do it. Why not, yeah. He, all, all he has to do is remember lines and then... Graham Norton has the best chat show in Britain. He does. Just straight up. Yeah, like... It's it, like nearly as good as the worst American one. <laughs> the worst American one? Americans just have the chat show thing down. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Like Kimmel, between Kimmel, Conan, Letterman. I mean, they're just like good at it. Yeah. They've run. And they've been the shows doing... just run differently yeah. for some reason. They've done, they've done it for years. Yes, like well, America, America has done it for literally. I literally, decades. I'm in a massive. The original one was called Johnny Carson. Really, the original first ever one. I don't know if he was the first. There might have been a dude before Johnny Carson, but David Letterman took over from Johnny Carson. Jay Leno took over from Johnny Carson, and David Letterman was supposed to take over from Johnny Carson, but Jay Leno stole the gig. Mm-hmm. basically, and then Letterman got his own show. But, um, yeah, I, f- I was watching all sorts of people on Johnny Carson. Muhammad Ali, uh, The Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra. And it's just a different time, man. It's a completely... To, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some of the clips. That's yeah, so please. That's um, one. I, I love listening to Muhammad Ali talking interviews. He's so, like... He's very calm. Yeah, he's very calm. Yeah, everything he says. Yeah, it's just like... People are just trying to take him to be like some sort of like black person that doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, mm. and then he just comes out and he just sounds so calm and collected. Well, you think you just... expect a boxer, yeah, like Mark oh! Tyson or yeah. like something like that, but you get a very articulate man, mm-hmm. eloquently spoken. Um, I need to show you this man called Don Rickles. You seen Toy Story? Any of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think the first one. You know the voice the of Mr. Potato Head? Yeah. That is Don Rickles. And he is a comedian that started in the 1950s and was alive until... 1950s? And he was alive until like three years ago. And he had shows in Vegas the whole time. He, he had a 50-year run in Las Vegas. 
Wow. Parted with Frank Sinatra, all of them. He was like big in with all the Rat Pack and like back in the day in Vegas at all the casinos. And he's like roasted the presidents. He was like the king of the original roast. Yeah, the king of comedy. He was the king of comedy, Rupert Pumpkin. Yeah, that's it. But Don Rickles is hilarious. I need to send you some footage of Don Rickles. I highly recommend anyone out there go watch Don Rickles roasting Dean Martin. Dean Martin? (laughs) Dean Martin, yeah. The singer? The singer, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Great. Hold no No, punches. Yeah. It's quite good. That's good. Um... Yeah, we should probably wrap this up. It's been a it's been a nice chat. It's been a quick minute, bro. I'm quite liking these to rat like it's quite casual. Do, yeah. Next time let's bring some chips. We can sort the scene yeah, out next time. That's this it. is trial yeah. and error, you know. Try, exactly, that's it. But yeah. We took it in in and forgot about the fucking consequences. Exactly. We didn't think about the bad things that could that's happen. That's right. We only thought about the good things that could happen. Unlike Naomi Watts' character in Mulholland Drive by David Lynch, which you should go and watch, like, All right, of... now. <laughs> right now. Right now. Right now. Stop what you're doing and watch Mulholland Please. Drive. Please. You'll see where we're coming from. Until next time, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MIP. Our website, MIPLTD. What? The Instagram is MIPLTD. The website is MIPLTD.org. And we've got a subreddit, if anyone is on Reddit, and we are down as the Mystery School. One word. Don't matter about caps. Just type that shit in, and you'll see what we've got going on over at Reddit. Mm-hmm. Say this at the end of every podcast, but, you know, we've got stuff coming. We're mm-hmm. working on more stuff that isn't just podcasts. That's films. right. We're branching out different mediums are being used in the near future so stick around give us a follow thank you so much for listening thank you what you end the episode martin say something to end the episode (laughs) peace out you make me sick